Hello, dog lovers. My name is Eric Jayner, and I am the audio production man behind the curtain of the show. This week, Benny asked me to repost episode 62. It's an oldie from December of 2016. It's titled Common Everyday Mistakes Made by Dog Owners and Trainers, and it features special guest Sean McDaniel from the Dog's Way podcast. I like this episode because it is really informative about how being aware of the many ways that you communicate with your dog can affect their behaviors and, in the long term, your relationship with them. So, without further ado, let's get to it. This is Discover Your Dog, the show that demystifies your dog's behavior so you can get the best results from your dog training. This show is brought to you by FamilyDogFusion.com and our affiliate partner, Healthy Paws Pet Insurance, the company that gives you peace of mind and protects your four-legged family members when you need it the most. Get your free dog insurance quote by going to FamilyDogFusion.com slash insurance. This is Devin Best, co-founder of Family Dog Fusion and co-host of Discover Your Dog. In episode 62, professional dog trainer and canine collaborator, Benny Copeland, reveals how different trainers arrive at similar results. Also, discover a grammatically superior approach to dog training. And stay tuned for an exercise to build your awareness of what you are really communicating. All in this fly-on-the-wall episode of Discover Your Dog. Dog lovers, remember that you can get show notes for today's episode by going to discoveryourdog.com slash episode 062. And please take the time to give us a five-star rating and a great review on iTunes because those reviews are wonderful to read and they make a real difference in the visibility of our show. Please send your questions, comments, and canine conundrums to trainer at familydogfusion.com. Lastly, remember to get your free membership, which includes the eBooks, Three Tools for Training Your Dog, Potty Training Your Puppy or Dog, and the video Walking Your Dog on a Leash by going to familydogfusion.com slash register. With that, let's get started with this awesome episode. Benny Copeland, how you doing? I am doing fantastic today. Very excited. Warm welcome to our special guest, Sean McDaniel of the Dog's Way podcast. Hi, Sean. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a real privilege. I feel the same way. So, Benny, set us up today, man. What are we, what are we doing today? Why do we have Sean on the show today? Well, you set, it, you set him up. You said that uh, he was uh, grammatically superior. <laughs> <laughs> to both of us. <laughs> so, maybe that's all we need. I don't know. Um, no, today, uh, I am so excited. And, Sean, thank you so much for taking your time out of the day today to come see us, uh, talk to us today. And um, like Devin said, you do the Dog's Way podcast, which I have listened to quite a few of those podcasts and enjoy them very much. Um, and I really can't say that a lot about a lot of the dog training podcasts, but uh, yours is definitely one that I really enjoyed listening to. And uh, we've had that conversation as well. Um, one thing that uh, I was looking through your website and uh, I saw a few things on there that you had said that I really have some of these same philosophies. And one of the things that uh, I quote on here, it says, we don't do traditional group classes that you may have seen at your local community center or nearby pet store. First, because we use a relationship-based method, we must train you to train your dog. And we teach you how to read your dog's body language, how to communicate clearly with them, and to think one step ahead of them. 
I really love those lines. I really love that part of um, uh, what your website says and what you talk about and the philosophies that you have and the very different way that we talk about it. So, Sean, thank you so much for being on our show today. Yeah, it's great. Uh, great being on the show. It's fun. We've uh, When you reached out to me, we started talking. It's cool to just see, uh, you know, you and I have been out this um, similar amount of time and, you know, maybe come from a, a couple of different angles at stuff. But uh, it's funny. We have a lot of overlap in our philosophies. And even though our jargon might be a little bit different, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty similar uh, format. So we're both we're both in that category of like, man, you're so intelligent. You think just like me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody that thinks just like me is very intelligent. Right. Right. That, that's all of our measures of intelligence. Right. Right. <laughs> very good. Very good. And that's, yeah, that's good. It's, um, and, and our title today is common everyday mistakes made by owners and trainers. Um, this of course is not coming out until December 14th. Uh, a couple weeks from today when we're actually recording this. So Devin can do his magic on the uh, podcast as well for all the silly stuff that we say in between. <laughs> we always to give a little context, um, uh, the Dog's Way podcast was one that we discovered in our initial research when we were forming our show. Even before we came up with the title of our show, we looked at, I think it was 30 dog-related, you know, I looked at 30 dog related. I don't know how many you looked at Benny uh, podcasts just to see what was out there and to see where we could fit in and to see, um, you know, we hadn't developed a style yet. We hadn't even developed a, a, a communicative, uh, you know, rapport with each other at that point yet. And so to come across Sean's show, um, Sean, it was just, it was really uh, impressive to see your, your content, man. And, and, and what you were, what you were bringing to the table, set a very high bar for us. And, and um, I remember talking to you right before the show about how, like I was a little intimidated by how well you were doing and this, and you know, like the apparent size of your audience from your Facebook page. And you know, you're, you are really doing what we want to do. And at first I felt really you know, like, Oh, he's already kind of got us nailed down here. What, you know, what's the point? But then, you know, of course we have different styles and we've, we've figured out our own, our own message over the course of a year. And um, so to, to be able to, you know, reach out and, and to embrace a not even really that different of a philosophy, but a different style and a different delivery is really exciting to me. And I think you're going to bring a lot for our, I think our audience can benefit. Our dog lovers can benefit from hearing what you have to say today. And I'm really interested in myself. I'm, you know, I'm kind of going to take a step back in this episode, let two dog trainers do what two dog trainers do and kind of uh, hash it out and, and work it through. So, um, you know, we're, uh, we're about ready to roll into this. If you guys have any more preamble, um, we can set that up. Otherwise, we can just get right into the show. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. That's your line, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, um, with all that introduction, uh, like I said, uh, what we're going to talk about today is just some common everyday mistakes uh, made by owners and maybe even some talk about some trainers. You know, uh, typically when I talk about mistakes uh, trainers make, I'm talking about me. So um, you know, I always give a little bit away uh, to the dog lovers out there and let them know that I'm just a normal guy, too. I know. <laughs> not not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> Only when you're around kryptonite. Right. <laughs> That's right. It. And I can't see through lead. All right. So um, what I was going to do, Sean, is I was just going to give a little um, uh, 
I don't know, scenario, I guess, of when I go into a home, uh, when I do a consultation, um, talk about um, some things that I see with an owner. And what I'd like to hear and like to talk to you about is, you know, some of the same things uh, from you, like and maybe how you would uh, approach those situations as well. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great. Okay. So I do um, consultations uh, pretty much on a daily basis. I'm either going in to train with an owner or going in to talk to a new person about uh, starting training with their dog. And one of the biggest things that I see when I walk into a home is, of course, the dog has to greet um, me at the door. And, you know, for a dog that is... um, very outgoing and we're not talking about any type of aggression or any major behaviors at this point. We're just going to talk about, you know, just basic things that you see on an everyday basis. But what I see a lot of times is the dog has lots of behaviors. You know, they may want to jump up or um, dart out the door, things like that. And the biggest thing that I see when an owner does that is that they're reaching down, they're grabbing their dog. Um, if the dog's jumping up, maybe even pushing the dog down, trying to calm it down at this moment. And, um, usually, and what I love about this whole process is that I get to use that against them basically, um, in the consultation. So when you do, uh, Sean, when you're I doing it, t- I won't tell them that that's what you do. So right, I won't right. tell anyone. It's just between you and me. That, that, that I use it against them. Yeah. You know, okay. you did that on our very first conversation about this business. You totally set me up in the same way. And you were playing off my complete ignorance. So that's a, that's your modus operandi. Keep going, Benny. Right, right. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I think it was funny but because, um, you know, you would talk about how I would intentionally make you wrong on things. Right. And that is not my intention at all. I'm not, I'm not intending to make you wrong so that I can correct you. Um, but what I do see is, is things like that, Sean, like um, someone's re- you know, reaching down and they're, they're stroking their dog and they're trying to calm their dog down. And then later what I talked to them about is how, um, that is reinforcing the behavior of, um, of how the dog greeted me at the door. What I'd like to do, Sean, is I'd like you to talk about that. Like if that's what someone does, um, at the door, how they're greeting a new owner, like what is that in your mind and your um, the way that you talk about that? Like, what are they doing there? Would you mind talking about some of that? Yeah, sure. Well, there's just a there's a ton going on there, as you know, and it's um, you know, it kind of comes to mind that there's there's something that we all tend to do, and you and I have talked about this before. We we tend to communicate in human ways, right? Where there's all of these sort of human things that sometimes with human to human interaction, it might be good. But if you sort of intuitively use that way to communicate with a dog, sometimes, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's innocuous and sometimes it's counterproductive. And so um, that greeting at the door is, that's something I do too. I mean, that's part of the assessment for me, right? Where you and I would walk in the door and we start assessing right away mm-hmm. and start assessing what I start looking at is I start looking at the relationship. And then what I think about is kind of the next step for me as I start looking at sort of what are the dog's basic core skills? And then what are kind of, after that, what are the rituals or what I think of as kind of policies? Mm-hmm. Sort of those are kind of the three broad ways I sort of assess things or look at things in sort of a step-by-step process. And some of the mistakes that I see people make, you were kind of describing a little bit in that notion where the dog will come up and jump up on you and then the, the human will do something. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the things I see a lot is I see sort of people creating sort of a bad association, meaning that their dog will jump up on me and then they might say off or maybe they don't say off and their dog just gets down and the owner gets all excited. Oh, good off. Good off. Oh, what a good off. What a good offer you are. (laughs) And they're praising them for not jumping anymore. But one of the challenges with that and kind of the generic problem that I see is sort of that, what I guess is called the bad association problem, right? Where the dog sort of gets this reward or Mm -hmm. reinforcement for something that started with the bad behavior or the behavior that the owner tells me in the next breath that they want their dog to stop doing. Right. I want my dog to never jump on somebody at the front door. And so we start talking about that in terms of that, that kind of association where they pet the dog for getting off of me. Right. And that's, that's not, as you know, <laughs> that's right. what I would recommend them doing. Right. Because in that, like the way that I talk to an owner and what I do is I, I talk to them about all the attention that the, they're given at that moment. And the way that I would um, talk to an owner about that is that by giving that attention in that moment, like in that time, that if they're not aware of what they've done, what they've really done is they've said, it's okay, you jumped. Just stop when I tell you. So what does the dog have to do in order to get that attention? Jump off, of course. And, and that's right. where, right. And that's where when, um, and again, like you talked about um, uh, in that process that they don't even realize they're, they're te- they think that they're praising their dog for, well, th- which they are, they're praising the dog for getting off the um, you know, person. Um, and they're also reinforcing the fact that the dog is jumping up in the first place. And that's the awareness that I want an owner to really get. And obviously through what you said as well. Um, one thing that you said was very interesting to me is how that you broke down um, your um, uh, introduction or your uh, consultation into three parts. Um, and I would like to cover one little part of that and just have you talk about that if you don't mind. You said that you... Um, look for the relationship of that owner and that dog. Would you mind talking about a little bit about what that looks like? Like, what are you looking for um, to discover how that relationship is with the owner and the dog? Yeah, sure. That's for me, it's what I call kind of what I do. And, and from what you've described, what you do too, mm-hmm. I would describe that as kind of a relationship based method, meaning that Dogs are pretty relational and you people that are listening at home probably have this intuition that that's the experience they have too. meaning that people will call me and you and say things like, well, my dog listens to me, but not so much with my wife or my husband or my dog listens to my older teenage son, but not so much to my daughter or to my daughter, but not to my son. And it's a dog is just different with each person because they're social creatures. We're kind of like that. We interact with our old college buddies differently than we do with people at work and differently than, uh, you know, we do with the neighbor down the street. And so that's a, that's kind of a normal social creature Mm -hmm. interaction. And so that relationship with you, with your dog is sort of key to me because if your dog has kind of this sense of, you know, Hey, Benny, I like that you have opposable thumbs. You can open the food cabinet twice a day, but Hey, if we're going on opinions, I like mine. You know, right. <laughs> I'm going to chase the whatever, or I'm going to not like the this, or I'm going to bark at the that. And that's how they, they sort of interpret the world or do things. That's kind of what I mean by relationship. I, a lot of times when I talk to relationship, uh, to clients about relationship, 
they sort of interrupt me and go, oh, no, 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 I love my dog. My dog loves me. We have a great relationship. Right. And for me, it doesn't have much to do with that. I assume if people are listening to podcasts and reading books and calling dog trainers that they love their dog. Right, exactly. I think of it more like job description as sort of another way to maybe say that. Right. And, and I do believe, and it's probably a good time to say, I mean, I, I do believe in kind of that leader-follower relationship. Mm-hmm. And the reason I didn't have to really say that, but in the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, there's been sort of some, I guess, some ideas or theories sort of floated of the idea that, um, well, dogs aren't really hierarchical pack animals. Right. You know, we used to think they were kind of like wolves, but now we know they're not. They're, they really have descended from, you know, ice age pariah dogs that existed on the, you know, the outskirts <laughs> of the campfire and they took food from the, the, ice age humanoids and therefore that's why food tree training is the best way to train a dog and so it's kind of this this other sort of almost evolutionary theory that dogs aren't hierarchical they don't look at a leader follower relationship but i guess what i've seen over whatever it's been now three thousand dogs or something like Mm -hmm. that is that, that there is a component to that we may misunderstand that a little bit but but i do think that and have seen just through evidence that having that leader follower relationship is pretty crucial. It's very um, crucial. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Can you see why? I mean, just the explanation of that, that he was talking about how very different it is that, you know, when we're talking, uh, especially in a podcast. And I mean, I recall actually hearing you talk about that in one of your podcasts, um, Sean in, uh, that was, it, it's a, what a great explanation. Like what a great explanation as far as, you know, what people are thinking and how people are seeing and, and how, you know, the philosophies of what dogs are. I look at it and I, I totally believe in the hierarchical relationship um, as well. And um, what I look at is that, you know, people are, uh, we're domesticating these dogs. I mean, they're looking at it more as they want them to be equals because that's the human thought. That's the human terms of, um, you know, they're a part of my family. They're equal. They're an equal part of the family. And yet they don't have to get a job, you know, that they're not out there um, having to earn their living or do chores during the day to earn their spot <laughs> in the home, <laughs> you know. And Depends so what you train them to do, I guess. Right, right, right. We should be, right. I mean, if I could at least get my dog to get a beer out of the refrigerator, I would, that would be fine. <laughs> so, but he couldn't choose the right one. He'd probably just go for the Miller Lite or something. So. I said IPA. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I love that. I love that. Um, and, and obviously, too, like where, you, where I talked about if you've done research and you look at those things and, and you've, um, you know, recounted and recalled uh, how people are looking at um, this new relationship. And really that's what it is. It's, it's a new way of looking at these relationships. And yet I truly feel that we do have to keep the dog in that hierarchical um, idea, I guess, or in that, that and the way we talk about it in our podcast is that, you know, the dog looks at you, you're either above them or you're below them. There is no equal in the dog's world. I actually had a vet one time tell me that. He said, you know, it's unfortunate there's no Abraham Lincoln in the dog world that said all dogs are created equal. And so they don't look at us that way. 
And so we have to take that role. And I think it's a responsibility as well. I have a question. Okay. Um, first of all, kudos to Sean for knowingly or unknowingly quoting a Rush song. Uh, <laughs> Pariah Dogs is a lyric by Neil Peart. So thank you for that. Um, second of all, um, and you say I'm a geek. Oh, I'm a geek, man. I'm a geek big time. Very big rush geek. I thought you, I thought you were actually quoting the song. Um, um, so what struck well, me I, is I am part Canadian. So I figured, <laughs> I figured you have to, you have to dig the Holy triumvirate then you have to. Um, so what struck me is that like Benny, you've talked about before that you generally don't discuss the hierarchy with your clients because, and I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's because of the complexity uh, well, actually, will you address that? Why is it you generally don't talk about that to your, your clients? It really is. Um, it really is that it's very complex. Like it, it doesn't make sense to a person when I talk about the hierarchy. Um, just to say it, like I said, you know, they are where a dog's in a dog's mind, you're either above them or below them. And that's kind of my belief. Um, one of my theories in training is that you're one of those two things. Well, if they, envision that they can be above you, then they're going to continue to test those boundaries and they're going to continue, you're going to continue seeing um, behavior issues and it can get worse and worse and worse as long as they feel like, or they see that, that they can be above you. Um, and you see little things like little things that I would um, point out would be like a dog peeing on something of yours, like your shoe or your pillow on your bed or something like that. Instead of just, you know, not being potty trained and peeing everywhere, they specifically pee on something of yours. It seems like a political statement, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We had a dog when I was growing up that would only uh, poop on my dad's pillow. Mm -hmm. And uh, the theory was that it hated my dad. You know, I thought thought this stuff... And he, you know, he, uh, he didn't like that dog very much either. So, and I've, I've wondered about that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously he didn't like the dog very much. Really? Sean, Why didn't he like that dog? <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? So Sean, have you had a similar, or do you teach hierarchy to your clients or do you just teach like a simplified version the follower, you know, pack leader mentality? Yeah, I do talk about it, but I guess one of the things when, when Benny, you were talking about the notion of, of just kind of leaving it alone. I guess there are some pieces of it I leave alone. The way I sort of describe it to clients of mine is that there's there's a lot of misunderstanding we have sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and I think some of that, and I should probably say too, I'm sort of used to talking to my audience and they've kind of heard me talk about different things ad nauseum. But for folks that are just hearing me talk for the first time, what I do want to say too, because if there's trainers out there that are, um, you know, positive only clicker trainers, that's cool with me. Like I don't, my bias certainly is a more naturalistic bias in training. I I use food with puppies all the time. It is a primary training tool for me. I use food in pieces of training with dogs over about seven and eight months old. But to me, I'm not, there's a lot of, uh, Benny and I have talked about this a bunch, but there's a lot of opinion in the dog world about, you know, what the right way to train is. And to me, the right way to train is the way that you decide is right your dog and your situation. And the, the, the humble suggestion I would have is the one that gets you results too. Cause that's another one of my biases in training is sort of a bias towards results because you can, you can have all kinds of dog training theories, but if that dog training theory, when put into practice, doesn't actually change your dog's behavior, then to my way of thinking, who cares about your theory? <laughs> so <laughs> right. it's, it's sort of that notion of, you know, if you're out there listening and you've got a bait bag on your hip and you've got two clickers in your hands and you're ready to dog train and you philosophically believe that, you know, popping a leash or 
giving a dog a correction or anything like that is just wrong, then that's cool. You know, if you get results in whatever way you train, that's cool with me because I'm, I'm a big fan of people kind of living their own lives and deciding what they want to do with their dog and train with their dog and whether they want to do or not do agility or competition obedience or just go for a walk with their dog. So that's kind of the little caveat with me is that I don't, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk to all kinds of trainers and all kinds of people about the way they train. Um, and I try to, as much as I humanly can, kind of just stay out of that notion of, you know, you're right and I'm wrong and I'm right and you're wrong. Because it's to me, that's just kind of counterproductive. Yeah. And I think that that, like talking about common mistakes, I think that that is a common mistake that a, a lot of trainers make is that they get caught up in this one way of looking at things or one way of doing things. And, you know, not every dog is going to um, be trainable in that one way. There's going to be that dog. You're going to end up finding that dog that, um, that that little pop on the leash doesn't work, um, that that treat is not going to be the thing that um, encourages or entices that dog to do those things. And so, you know, what do you do at that moment? And um, I feel like, and, and I totally agree with you, like to get caught up in that becomes that, I don't know, it, it's that thing that I see with most trainers. It becomes that thing where, you know, I'm, I'm so stuck on this and this is the only way and the right way of doing it. And what we talk about and what I talk about in my book and I'm talking about in the podcast is that what I want people to do is understand what they're communicating in the moment. Like every, you know, in their daily lives, um, in the moment they're doing training um, and just in the moment of, you know, what we talked about earlier, you know, being out on the porch and your dog's under your feet and you reach down and love on your dog. What are you communicating in that moment? And that's really what's important to me it's not how that i'm doing it or what i'm doing to get that result as long as the results are there you're doing the right thing you know if um if we could break it down to a simple level benny i think one of the revelations from a previous episode that i i came to is that i have to be aware every interaction that i have with a dog is a form of communication like i'm I'm communicating something and to be aware of what i'm communicating is is kind of the point of our show is to build that awareness in the moment of what it is that i'm communicating and I think it's interesting that it took me, you know, 60 episodes or 61 episodes to even put it into that context that, oh, if I'm if I'm interacting with a dog, I'm doing one of these three things or one of these three or four things. What is it that I'm doing right now? And so that was very revealing to me. And I think that our dog lovers in the audience um, would do well to pay attention to the fact that if they're if they're playing with their dog, they're communicating. If they're shouting at their dog, they're communicating. If they're looking at their dog, they're communicating. That's that's really important. Or if they're not looking at their dog, they're communicating. <laughs> sure. <laughs> If the dog is in another state. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that's a good point, Devin. And, and sometimes when I talk to folks about that, there's a little bit of a sense. Like, I know there's some people listening right now that are like, but man, I, I just want to hang out with my dog. That sounds like a lot of effort. That sounds like a lot of work, man. <laughs> right. And it and it kind of is. And the good news, bad news that I tell folks about is that it's, it is a lot of effort at first. But the good part about that is that that's why I think about kind of that relationship core skills and then sort of policies or rituals because we all get comforted by rituals, putting things on autopilot, a long-term human relationship that you have, you still have to work at, but you don't have to work at it like you did when you were just starting to get to know the person, when you didn't have any ritual, shared rituals, you didn't have any uh, sort of unspoken uh, you know, looks or eyebrow raises or, you know, you could you could read a lot in the other person as you get to know them better. And it's kind of like that 
with a dog too, is that the more common rituals you have, the more that dog, the way I kind of think about it is that second principle that I always follow is kind of the keeping the freedom responsibility quotient in balance, Mm -hmm. meaning that the more responsible a dog becomes, the more freedom they get. I don't want to ever give a dog more freedom than their level of responsibility indicates they ought to have. And so the more responsible they become, the more freedom they have, the less they're on leash, the less less structure they have, because I know that I can ask them to do something or get out of somewhere or go somewhere or stay somewhere. And they just do. And they know that I'm not supposed to be up on the kitchen counter and I'm not supposed to be running through the front door unless you call me through the front door. And I, I know all these things. So life with a dog that you've been with for a while is actually pretty easy if you've trained those basic rituals and some of it looks like obedience skills and some of it looks like just default rules around the house. But, right. but that, that's to the people that are out there thinking about this, Devin, you were saying kind of like everything I communicate, I'm communicating something. And that sounds pretty arduous sometimes to folks. And, <laughs> yeah. and, well, the, and the, you know, the, real, the reality is it is at first, but then it ends up not being. And you remember you and I, um, right up front, we had conversation about um, as, as trainers, as being dog trainers, that we look at those situations. Like even if I make um, a little mistake, like I repeat a command or I say something, I'm aware of it instantaneously. Like I go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or and then I'm able to you know, go back to that structure that I've created. And whereas a layman, I like to call, you know, our dog lovers out there, the people that um, just have that dog as part of their everyday life, they'll repeat a command three or four or five or six times and never realize they've even repeated the command to their dog, you know, and then it takes 10 times for them to start yelling at their dog before the dog actually does what they say. And they have no clue that they've done that. And that to me is kind of that, that communication as well that we know, like we see that. And what my goal is to teach people that, you know, the things that you create, just like you said, Sean, the things you create right up front are the things that are going to be long lasting in that dog's life. And yes, it's work up front, but you know, just like anything is, I mean, a new job, you know, you have to work really hard at your new job and be impressive um, at first. And then later on, it just kind of, flows what's that called in in business or in skill development like um there's different phases of um there's conscious incompetence unconscious incompetence conscious competence and unconscious competence where it's like things become like at first things are so i have to be so aware of what i'm doing and like driving a car driving a stick shift for the first time my god it's like how do i operate all my appendages at one time you know (laughs) you know and then I'm third, you know, I remember when I was like 34, 35 years old, it's like, I'm doing all this stuff without even th- a complete autopilot, like, right. like Sean mentioned a few moments ago. And so it seems like that with, um, with dog training is what seems like with any skill set that we're acquiring, that there's going to be a degree of applied effort at the very beginning where I'm totally fumble farting my way through it, not knowing what I'm doing and, you know, sort of plotting, plotting, plotting. But then as I get better and better, I can have uh, a less, conscientious skill set behind it. I remember uh, listening back to talking about Rush a little while ago. These guys play so much and so hard and so constantly that they, they say they have to get beyond the music to where they're not thinking about the music at all. You know, I mean, how could a drummer play all that stuff at the same time? And how could a singer sing and play bass at the same time unless they were at that level of skill or that level of mastery? And so it sounds like kind of, you know, that's how I relate. Talk about geeky stuff. That's kind of how I relate to, you know, what you guys are talking about is this, is this unconsciousness and the discomfort that I go through when I don't know what I'm doing at the beginning. Yeah, that's a really good uh, structure. And that, that structure is uh, just to uh, 
to attribute it. It's uh, that was Maslow, right? The, the oh, was that Maslow? Is his four stages oh, of learning? Oh Lord! So, you, oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> we just shut Benny out of the conversation. <laughs> so that, I mean, I I don't think Ma- Maslow wasn't in Rush, was he? It was just the other. No, thing. yeah, so yeah, he, he he's, yeah, he contributed. But, I think. But yeah, no, his four stages of learning. I talk to clients about that a little bit because it's a good construct to think about. Just just like how you outlined, right? Where you what I tell people is before I showed up about these, you know, geeky dog trainery things relative to how I do it, they were at what Maslow would have called stage one, right? Consciously, uh, sorry, unconsciously incompetent. Yeah. You didn't know you didn't know. Right. And, and so that does a couple of things for somebody is that starts them sort of not blaming themselves. Not, well, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that I didn't know. So that's cool. I could just start out kind of clean. And then as you start to learn stuff, you then go to stage two and you can't, and I've seen, the thing I like about that construct is I haven't seen a lot of counterexample to going through those stages. That second stage of being consciously incompetent is that stage that you described, Benny, where you go, oh, I made a mistake. You identify the mistake. You start to now know what the incorrect thing is. And then you go into the third stage, consciously competent, where you remember all the right things and then you turn your body language the right way and you don't look at the dog and then the leash is kept loose and then you're holding the leash a certain way and you're watching the dog do something and you're you're doing all the right steps but you're having to think through every step and be conscious about every step because you're just not really that good at it yet and then you start to ebb and flow into this notion of that fourth stage right that unconscious competence which is like a pro athlete or an olympic athlete or somebody like that where they and, and that can be deceptive. And the reason I tell people about that, Devin, is that most of us get frustrated because we want to go from stage one to stage four. We don't want that stage right. two, stage three stuff. Right. We don't want to be conscious about it. We, I want to go from unconsciously incompetent to unconsciously competent in one big step. And that can be frustrating because we, you watch Benny do something with a dog and you go, well, man, how can he be that cool? That's amazing. Can you go leave? Here, let me try that. And they try to do it and it doesn't look anything like what Benny does. Yes. Because he's unconsciously competent at a bunch of stuff because, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dogs later, hopefully you are. But that's the, that's a great learning construct for me, for, for clients, because it helps them just put in context of, oh, that's right. I've just got to kind of ebb and flow through what I tell people after lesson one is my goal for you is just be in stage two and three, just be conscious. And that's where we put most of our attention, quite frankly, on our show is in building that uh, awareness in the moment, uh, that consciousness in the moment of what we're communicating. And that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. Where we, where we kind of stop is not necessarily pushing our audience to uh, this unconscious uh, competence. It's, you know, we hover around that consciousness stuff. Well, um, we had talked about earlier, um, as far as our homework, um, talking about maybe a couple behaviors. And I know that um, I had talked about um, a reactive behavior such as a fear reaction to maybe um, thunder or something like that. But you had also talked about a behavior. Would you like to maybe talk about that as a practice? Yeah, sure. In terms of homework for listeners, there's kind of a, there's a couple of little steps I think that people could all do because if you're hanging out with your dog, um, and, and just as an aside too, that's one of the things that I maybe can encourage people to change their mindset on just a little bit is that dogs, a, a little bit like kids in a way, learn from you with every interaction, right? That's one of the big mistakes I see people making actually is that they assume that their dog learns at the time that we label a homework session or a training session. 
right? We go, oh, it's six o'clock. Okay, now I'm going to, and I've had people say that to me too. I've actually had people say, you know, oh yeah, I did some homework yesterday and then I took my dog for a walk. Right. <laughs> and in there, they're describing to me, obviously, that in their mind, well, it's just a walk. Well, I just went out in the backyard with my dog. I didn't, I wasn't doing, quote, training. And so as you're maybe doing the homework that I'll give you is it's kind of observational homework to just notice where that bad association mistake is being made. And the mistake kind of structures like this, where your dog does something that you'd prefer they didn't do, right? Jump up on the counter, jump up on somebody that walks in the front door, like Benny, you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. um, jumps up on the sofa if they're not allowed to be up there. And then they, you say something, you say off or, hey, get down. Hey, come on, buddy. Hey, what do you, hey, clap your hands or click or do whatever you're doing. And you start to communicate slightly that, hey, remember that mistake you're making about being up on the counter there? And the dog gets down. And then you walk over and go and give him a pat. Because you're, it might be, I don't know what's in your mind, but you might be grateful. Hey, thanks, buddy. Good job. Good job getting down, big guy. Mm-hmm. Or you, you think that that's a good thing, right? Oh, you got off with, you didn't totally ignore me. You actually listened when I said off. And so you give him a pet or you give him a cookie. And because that, that treat, if a dog's food motivated, can be really uh, kind of reinforcing, that can actually create even worse problem with that bad association problem. Because you can really start to motivate that dog to think like, okay, wait, I got a big pet or I got a cookie or I got a piece of that chicken sandwich you had. And how did I get that again? Okay, I put my front feet up on the counter. You set off. I got down. And then you gave me that cookie. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and then we start rewarding the exact behavior we'd prefer they didn't do. Right. And so I guess piece one for my homework would be just observationally, just see if you're doing that. Just see if you're inadvertently kind of rewarding the stopping of bad behavior, which is kind of the formula of the bad association problem. And then the question in people's mind may be like, well, how, well so what do I do instead? What do I do differently? Think of it this way. Just think of always retesting the dog, right? What you have to do is have a second trial. Meaning if a dog gets up on the counter and I know they're not supposed to be up there and they know they're not supposed to be up there, I actually just correct down. And then I wait for them to go up to that counter or that person at the front door again and see if they make a different choice, a better choice. Correct. If they do a second trial and make a better choice, then I mark and reinforce that. Good, Pat. Good treat if that's your thing. And then you're rewarding exactly what you want as opposed to rewarding the stopping of bad behavior. Very good. So that, that'd be my homework yeah. for folks. That's awesome. And, and I love that. And I really like that. Like, I love how you say that. So thank you so much. Um, what I, uh, and I'm going to do this very briefly as well, just so I can, you know, throw some of their, some of my bad grabber into this whole thing. <laughs> um, is the thing that I look at is, or what I see a lot with owners is that when a dog, especially if the dog has um, some type of uh, skittish type behavior or is um, uh, very anxious, when the dog may hear a loud noise or um, something happens that startles the dog, that an owner wants to immediately go up and give that dog attention and sympathize. They sympathize. And again, this goes with that human term of, oh, my dog is scared. I should, um, I should sympathize. I should let him know that everything's okay. 
With a child, that's okay because a child can analyze. And what the child does is they say, oh, well, mom says I don't have to be scared in this situation, so I'm not going to be scared. Unfortunately, a dog doesn't think that way. So at the moment that that person goes up to that dog and sympathizes with the dog and maybe pets the dog, tries to calm the dog down, talks in very soothing tones. It's okay. You're all right. What they're actually doing at that moment is reinforcing that behavior. So the dog shows fear. gets a positive reinforcement, positive reward at the end of that, um, at that immediate reaction. And then thinks that I should be scared in all of these situations simply because this is what my owner wants me to do. So it ends up getting worse and worse and worse. So that's a common thing that I see as well. Um, Sean, again, thank you. Uh, I'm going to do a little brief summary of what we've talked about today. Um, and uh, then we'll just go through the uh, uh, final parts of the show as well. So today, Sean introduced uh, Sean from the Dog's Way podcast. I encourage you to go and listen to some of his shows. I have uh, really enjoyed listening to those shows. Also talked about some common mistakes that not only um, owners and dog lovers make, but also some that trainers make as well. And the homework was talking about uh, practices that we can do to be very aware on how we're responding and reacting to our dogs. Thank you very much. Hey, Sean, where can people find you? Where's the best way to find you online? Uh, you can look up stuff uh, with, uh, with me at thedogsway.com. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff. The blog is there. There's uh, the podcast page is there. You can also get the podcast on iTunes and all the other sort of podcast stuff. But yeah, thedogsway.com is a pretty good central place to, to find stuff about me. Very good. Also want to give a plug to your, to your training program. You have both an online version and a DVD, do you not? Yeah, I did uh, a few years back. I did a, uh, a video training course. It's for dogs over seven months old, so it's not. It assumes that you've handled a lot of your puppy stuff, the housebreaking and the crate training and the socializing and all that stuff. We talk a little bit about that in the course, but it's kind of the training for the big kids. It's not food based. So if your dog isn't super food motivated and you're looking for a little training course like that, it's uh, it's twelve lessons. It's pretty comprehensive. It's like over ten hours of video. Um, and it's got some competency checks in there for you and a little workbook and, and stuff like that, too. So it's me going through lessons with a bunch of folks because um, I wanted people to see a little bit of the trial and error of training in a video course as well. And not just that kind of YouTube tip video where, you know, somebody just kind of comes out with a dog and a professional trainer does something for two minutes with a dog. And I go, wow, that's how you do sit. OK, and then you go try it with your dog. And inevitably, that's just not the way it works. There's there's trial and error that happens. And so I wanted to see people. Uh, go through that on video and then have people be able to have access to that. So yeah, we've got that on the website at the dogsway.com too. So folks are interested in that. They can go there. Right. Well, thank on you. a personal note, thank you for keeping such a high standard with your show and with your training and with your website. It's something that I, I genuinely do admire you for. And it's what really caught my attention in the first place. And that was, you know, uh, over a year ago where I first encountered your show and here we are um, now <laughs> and I'm sitting here talking to you. It's amazing. I, and, and thank you for, for doing this with us. And Benny, thanks for, for uh, for letting us geek out a little bit uh, <laughs> on our vocabulary and some and some rush stuff that was awesome and um, that's it great show well, I, I just I just want to return that Devin because it's uh, when I first heard you guys show I was I was kind of impressed with our sound quality of our show and I heard you guys show and I was like man our, our sound quality sucks look at that really pick that up <laughs> it's definitely Devin's uh, calling. I am obsessive compulsive when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can tell. I love it. I love it. Good. Well, thank you very much. 
Well, thank you, everybody, for listening today. And just to remind you, um, I have completed my book, and we are now looking at doing the publishing process of this book. And we've decided to do a Kickstarter com- campaign. Kickstarter campaign. I don't know what that is. Champagne. Champagne. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kickstarter campaign. And for those of you that don't know what a Kickstarter is, it is a crowdfunding source. I like to think of it more as a con- not a contribution so much as it's a um, what is the word, Devin? Investment is what you use. Investment. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's an investment because in a Kickstarter campaign, if you invest a certain amount of money then you are going to actually get uh, something for that investment. Um, One of the things that we're talking about is doing uh, signed copies of the book. Uh, So this will be actually a way that people can also pre-order this book. So you can have um, just regular copies of the book, soft copies, or you can actually have a signed copy from Devin and I, which would be amazing in itself. And how do they find out about the Kickstarter, Devin? They can go to familydogfusion.com slash Kickstarter. And I want to add in here that, um, you know, as we begin to put this together, we put together, uh, we're growing, we're putting together our budget for what we're looking for on this campaign. And we're looking at self-publishing this book. And, you know, um, we're also, we want to launch this to a big audience. We want to get this message out there. It's like we finally got our legs underneath us here. We've got our message down really solid. And we know what we're talking about finally. And... (laughs) And, um, and the point of this is, is to get this message out there. And that message is that we want dogs to be a part of the family in ever greater aspects of our lives, right? We want your, you, we want you to be able to have a wonderful relationship with your dog at the park, in the car, on the way to the park, you know, in the house, when you are having dinner or entertaining your guests or really in whatever context that you find yourself. And we want to give you the tools and the awareness to, to make that a reality, so that your dog can be a blended part of your family. And that's the name of our business. And that's the name of our book, Family Dog Fusion. And so we want to we want to do things like hire uh, team members. We want to hire a, a publicist probably to get get Benny on some more podcasts and to get, uh, you know, to get the, the word out there about this message and this in this new book that we're creating. So we need your help is the long and short of it. We need the help of dog lovers just like you who already understand that message and already understand what we're going for. And this could be a movement in the dog training industry is that that, that dogs become a a much tighter integration with our families. And I think that this, Benny, you finally sold me on this thing. This could be the, the beginning of that movement, um, you know, and could affect dogs and, and families around the world. And that it really excites me. And we need your help, dog lovers. We need your help to do this. So thank you. Please check us out. Uh, the Kickstarter page can be found at familydogfusion.com slash Kickstarter. And we really appreciate your support. All right, everybody, we'll see you all next week when Benny talks about Christmas dogs. See you then. Also, if you're listening to this show on Stitcher or Google Play, please give us a thumbs up now. Show notes for this episode are available at discoveryourdog.com slash episode 062. And remember, friends don't let friends record podcasts. Well, I think we've beaten that subject to death. Well, maybe that's not a good way to segue into it. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. You ready? Beat you to death with that segue.